Hey gang, welcome to another exciting episode of National Bugle Radio on the Republic Broadcasting Network, RBN, republicbroadcasting.org. It's the horse and carriage of free speech. We don't need automobiles. We, we can we can go back like the Amish do. They do just fine. Uh, a horse buggy, bicycles with uh, orange vests, or is it green vests? I can't remember. Anyway, it is like that. So go to republicbroadcasting.org, click on the donate button, send the fundage to 2251 Double Creek Drive, Suite 302, Round Rock, Texas 78664, phone it into 1-800-724-2719, extension 3. This is part two of Patrick and Jeremy's show. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patrick. I had a great part one. Uh, focused on immigration last night and political realignments. Look forward to the upcoming conversation. It can only get better. It can only get better. And um, so where we left off, we were talking about political realignment. Um, and, you know, realignment, it can, it can be a classic realignment was when Southern whites went from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party during the 1960s and 70s. Uh, that happened. Um, it's a realignment could be a birth of a third party or something. That or that could be at least part of a process of a realignment. Who knows what will happen? And we were talking. You know, we were doing some electoral talking, and the 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 big fractures, the big. Uh, centrifugal forces are more in the Republican side making that what had once seemed like almost impossible in an age of of fake elections, a return of Donald Trump to the White House it seemed to be kind of like the favorite now Um, if, especially if if the uh Biden's younger, less white base that's mad about uh, Israel, if they start voting for Cornell West or Jill Stein or even Robert F. Kennedy instead of Biden, they don't have to vote for Trump. Um, that could all happen. Anyway, that's kind of where I had left it off. You you had some thoughts, too, when the uh, the time the time clock uh cut us off but anyway I kick it to you jeremy yeah um the the trump can the trump presidency the election of 24 and the presidency of 25 seems seems inevitable uh i don't know how they could hoax this thing when the democrat party is disenfranchised so much of their core but um one thing we left off on i was drawn a correlation of how in the early 20th century uh, you had all, all of these European migrants and uh, they were they were pushed and conditioned to give up their European identities and pledge allegiance if you will uh, to the uh, American Empire uh, I mean the pledge even in its early stages they give they gave some sort of a Roman salute it wasn't called a Roman salute. It was called, it was a different kind of salute. It was very similar. If you think of the name of it, uh, hit me, but uh, it, it was basically you, you drop your European ancestry. You forget about being Irish, German, or Italian, and you pledge to the new American empire. Now, this is what maybe a lot of white nationalists would call white identity, like dropping your your individual European identity and pledging to a white state. That was a thing. But I think that um, the Jewish dominated powers in six, after 65 did a different thing where they're bringing in third orders and, you know, in wake of Vietnam war, they're bringing in uh, Asians and they're encouraging them to drop their, it doesn't matter, you know, what nation you're from pledge allegiance, you know, be be an American, be a patriarchal American. This also correlates with something that um, 
was done in the early aughts, uh, in 2001. Um, oh my gosh. His name, his name is, uh, skipping me because I worked a long shift, but, um, uh, uh, he wrote the paper on the Jewish stake in, uh, America's changing demography. Steinlein. Steinlein. You know, Steinlein's saying. taught me his name. Steinlein. Uh, if we don't, you know, Steinlein's premise was to his fellow Jews who he openly admitted influenced immigration to the U.S. from the, the third world, that if they don't control this, if they don't limit this, and brainwash the immigrants into a uh, um, American nationalist like mindset, loyal to America and you know by default to Israel, that the country would experience a white lash and a wave of anti-Semitism, which we see happening now. Uh, I might was, I'm not going to say he's a prophet. I don't believe in modern prophets, but he analyzed data and predicted events that we see now based on data that he analyzed let me put it like that and he wasn't wrong that's very much happening now um the point being is that um allegiance to the american empire was what made the empire strong uh and now we're seeing people disenfranchised on the left and the right not so the left to see you know the biden administration as uh, supporting genocide uh, with the Israeli, gen- you know, Palestinian genocide, and the right wingers see, you know, Biden as an illegitimate president after the 2020 election hoax. So you got both sides um, failing to recognize the current empire as legitimate, and that can only lead to a collapse. I think that's what we're seeing now. Um, that's definitely leading to a, a huge political realignment. Um, and who will the left vote for? Like, who were anyone that, that is against Israel in this genocide? Like, who represents them? No one. No one does. So I think it's going to be very hard for them to fake an election this year. Um, I'm sure they could do it if they tried, but it would be very difficult. Uh, and even if they succeeded, even if they did fake it and Trump didn't get it, you're going to get this whole um, this whole group of the electorate on the left um, that feel that they're not being properly represented. So where can it go from there? Let me kick it to you real quick so that I can regroup. Yeah, I think a, I think a at least an important part of the left. He's going to vote for Jill Stein and the Green Party. The Green Party's been around for a while. Uh, their high high point was, I think, 2.7% of the vote in 2000 with Ralph Nader. And 2.7% in in a uh, uh, an electorate that has been as evenly divided over the past several election cycles as America, 27 is a big deal. And it's not only Jill Stein who's out there. you got Cornell West. Who I don't know if he'll be effective at getting on ballots, but um, you know, Jill Stein might not be an attractive choice to uh, to blacks who, for whatever reason, decide they don't want to vote for Biden. Actually, Trump for black men, I think a lot of black men can relate to Trump. Uh, he might get uh, trickles of of that, but for um, you know, progressive blacks. You know, somebody like Cornell Black, uh, I'm sorry, Cornell West might be a an alternative. So I, th- I think you're going to get some of that. Uh, what the heck were we talking about? I can't. I, I, I kind of I went on this direction. I can't remember why. The the realignment and the disenfranchisement oh. of uh, the Democrat core. Yeah. So you got that. Um, and then regarding like immigration. You had, um, you know, before before sixty five, you had in the eighteen uh, hundreds, you had a lot of um, non British immigration, and British, really meaning Great Britain, um, and I guess Northern Ireland. Yeah, you, you know, before before the eighteen forties, 
the vast majority of of American whites were English, uh, Welsh, Scottish, what they called Scotch Irish, which was Irish Protestant. And then I guess you know you did have some Irish Catholic, not a whole lot though. You had some uh, uh, Dutch, maybe a little bit of Swedish around Wilmington, but you know you didn't. It, it was mostly Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And, and then you started, and you know, a certain amount of German maybe, but then in the 1840s, you started getting uh, German and Irish. And then later in the, in the 1800s, started getting Southern and Eastern European. These people came to cities when they came to cities and they had identities. You, you were talking about that. They had identities um, and they probably had pretty strong identities going into certainly going into World War One. Um, and what are the processes that that made them lose their German or Italian or Polish or Irish identities and just start identifying as white? And I think, you know, maybe you had mentioned something. Uh, I, one aspect, I think, is the um, between the world wars, like after World War One, you had a lot of blacks that moved from the south into the cities, into these cities that the Irish and the Polish and the Italians lived in because they were in, they were in the cities. And yet all these blacks moved in. And the result, th- there was conflict, but the result was, to a large extent, the whites, well, the, including the Poles, including the Irish, including the Italians, moved into the suburbs. And so people moved into the suburbs, and when they moved into the suburbs, they were no longer in their ethnic enclaves. They were dispersed amongst all these other older stock whites who had also moved into the suburbs because they didn't want to be around the blacks. And, you know, the the automobile and, and road system made uh, suburban living possible. And that probably has a lot to do with it, too. Uh, in the mid 20th century, between the world wars and then after World War II, uh, the the big growth of the suburbs, I think, was was the growth of probably the growth of white identity uberalis, meaning white identity over German or English or Polish or Italian or or Irish. So I think I think you had that, and and so they identify as whites. Will you ever get? Something and, and and by identifying as whites, I guess I guess the older stock whites gave up something. One of the things the older stock whites gave up on was Protestantism being the national religion, and I, I think then it it moved to Christianity, a more a broader. And you can correct me if I'm wrong because you would you would know more, but um, that you'd have. That, it, that Catholicism was embraced as Christianity in a way that, like, Catholics... I, I was just listening to a, uh, an, a lecture on the Industrial Revolution in America, and who was it? One of the... Oh, was it, was it Morse, the, the inventor of the uh, telegraph? I think it was Morse. He was very, very active in the like anti-Catholic movement of the 1830s, 1840s, because you, you're getting, starting to get all these Irish, all these Catholic immigrants. And so there was, there was very strong anti-Catholic sentiment. But, you know, by the 1965 Immigration Act, you had had a Catholic president, you had had another Catholic nominee for president, Al Smith, a few decades earlier. It wasn't nearly as big of a deal. So they, you know, they gave up, they gave up some of their, Identity, but for the most part, it was Italians and Poles and Irish and Germans relating to uh, to the English, you know, the the English founders of the country, and maybe even to an extent the English ancestors of the founders of the country relating to Shakespeare as part of their heritage. So, um, anyway, th- those are my thoughts. I'll kick it back to you, Jeremy. There wasn't as a yeah you're right that the distinction between Protestantism and Catholic Roman Catholicism 
wasn't as accentuated as you get into the the 20th century, as opposed to say like in Ireland, where it, where it was very accentuated, and uh, you know many many um, I'm not going to say terrorism, just many battles were fought on the streets. I'll say that. But you're right that uh, the whites in America gave up their, you know, European ethnic ethnicities and even their religious beliefs sort of conglomerate into this white European empire. And I think the Jews saw this as it culminated in the 50s as something very similar in National Socialist Germany. And I think that's why you had the 1965 Immigration Act, which I would argue, and I think Kevin McDonald argues in his book, Culture of Critique, the 65 Immigration Act was a repudiation of the Immigration Act of 1924, the Johnson-Reed Act, uh, which limited immigrants to uh, national origin quotas. And so they recognized that America you know, needed an identity that uh, you know, surpassed that of their European identities and that they had to be loyal to this American empire. Um, and the 1950s culminated in this. I mean, you had white America in the 1950s, very prosperous, very white. Um, not, you know, people weren't divided amongst their European national origins or religion. Um, they did see Christianity as sort of a, a united thing whether you were Catholic or Protestant. Um, And that wasn't enough, though. So the 65 Immigration Act pretty much was a reversal of the 1924 Act. And, you know, what they wanted was these people from the third world, these brown immigrants and even post, you know, mid and post-Vietnam era uh, Asian immigrants to identify as Americans. To, to get this whole, you know, what what they would term the, the ultimate melting pot. So, because I think the Jews saw 1950s America as a threat to them. They saw it as becoming po- possibly another Third Reich. And so they had to reverse that. I think that's, you know, probably what we're witnessing in history. Um, but now today... Um, it just went totally out of control. Uh, and, and we'll bring up an article here in a minute where a Venezuelan rapes underage girls. Uh, I wanted to get to that. But um, these third worlders being brought into America, um, given all kinds of fundage and special privileges, uh, while poor and homeless blacks and whites are just left, uh, you know, American citizens are left just without uh, so I think you're seeing a a totally new black backlash against what the system is doing now um, on the left and the right. Before it was just the right, but now the left is is you know coming on board with it. So I sort of rambled a little bit. Let me let me kick it to you to sort of bring us back and corral me. Okay. No, there's interesting stuff there. Um, so with the the big 18th century, uh, 19th century immigration from the potato famine immigration and you had a lot of German immigration that time, part of the century uh, to later in the century, the Ellis Island. I don't know how much you can say that Jews were responsible for it, but what you can certainly say... To everyone he meets, he stays a stranger. Every move he makes, another chance he takes. The odds are he won't live to see tomorrow. Secret agent man, secret agent man, they've given you a number. 
Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113. Drinksupertea.com. Do you truly want to stay out of the system? Are you prepared to buy into the biggest scam since the Iraqi dinar? If not, then put your money where it belongs, in your possession, not in the hands of an international MLM cartel. At Kettle Moraine Limited, we will provide you with the finest Swiss-minted detachable gram sheets of pure 24-karat gold for hundreds of dollars less than the so-called privately issued credit cards with elusive gold backing. Gold backing... The only gold that I want is in my back pocket, not backed by promises of an operation even the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is suspect of, giving a rating of C-. To get the full story, visit SierraMadrePreciousMetals.com and go to the Valcombi Bullion Vault. Once you have read the whole story about the scam being perpetrated on an unsuspecting public and how you can avoid being a victim by purchasing these beautiful, barterable, tradable sheets of gold at tremendous savings and in the strictest of privacy, be prepared to take the steps to protect your wealth with the purchase of the real deal. Detachable 50-gram gold bars from Kettle Moraine Limited by calling 602-799-8214. Ask about our one-ounce Valcombi detachable bars, which break into one-tenth ounce bars. And don't forget, for all of your precious metal needs, whether buying or having the need to sell, call Kettle Moraine Limited. Remember, no dinar, no celery, and no carrots. If you buy from someone else, tell them you want AU, not BS. Call Kettle Moraine LTD today at 602-799-8214. Kettle Moraine LTD, 602-799-8214. Asian men, they've given you a number, and they've taken away your name. Later in the century, the Ellis Island. I don't know how much you can say that Jews were responsible for it. But what you can certainly say uh, with the debate over the, what was it, the Johnson What Act? Um, uh, for the 1924 Immigration Act? Johnson Reed Act. Johnson Reed Act, thank you. So that, that Jews, like Emanuel Seller, were at the forefront of opposing the Johnson Reed Act. They were they were uh, for continuing Ellis Island Im- style immigration from all over from well was which was mostly from all over Europe. And when you look at it, it, it kind of in a way it kind of backfired. All the that Italian and Polish and Irish and whatnot immigration that the uh the jews were supported and were trying to to continue well this actually uh through through the process that i described a little bit earlier with the suburbanification suburbanication whatever of of the united states and you actually did have a white melting pot or perhaps you had two white melting pots. Perhaps you had a Catholic one and a Protestant one that had had a certain amount of um, intermixing between them. But you had you had a, a significant kind of melting among whites. And so then, 
you had all these Poles and Irish and Germans and, and Italians who developed a white identity that then post-World War II became a threat to the Jews. Whereas, say, pre, pre-World War II or, or pre-World War I, having all of these non, non-British immigrants was seen as important to, to Jews. So the, the question, well, well, I don't feel that, that, say, blacks are ever going to identify as whites. And that, or that that would be even, even a uh, like something desirable, and you know, for the for the British uh, British Americans of the nineteenth century of the eighteen hundreds, for for these Poles and Irish and Germans and whatnot to wind up um, identifying with them and identifying as whites or something, maybe that wasn't maybe maybe you've got Millard Fillmore turning over in his grave, but. Um, what if what if you had um post uh the post 1965 immigrants um whom until recently came in these all these hispanics all these orientals came in to be hyphenated americans but americans that they weren't they 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 weren't white. They weren't intended to be white. They weren't intended to relate to to whites, but were intended to feel that to, to feel that they had an ownership stake in America. Um, with the idea of them, their ownership stake um, diminishing the ownership stake of whites. But what if you had a, a, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, I'm just throwing it out there, but what if you had a situation where, um, given this massive immigration of of non-hyphen, not really hyphenated, but kind of anti-American, like the, the, like this, a, a, the, the people who have been immigrating illegally over the past several years, and there's tens of millions of them, we don't know how many, are, are coming in really um, they're being brought in with the intent of destroying America and destroying white America in particular. And what if you, you got a, a situation where uh, these fluent, fluent English speaking Hispanics and Orientals who have been here at this point for decades, some are, some are like second and third generation. What if they start identifying to the red, white, and blue and 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 identifying with George Washington and the Constitution, uh, identifying not as whites, but as um, minorities with a, a and blacks too. And the thing about blacks is they've been here for so, for so long. What if they start identifying like this? This this is our country. It's not these. You know, you can see blacks. Uh, blacks have been here longer than everybody else, and yet everybody who comes in kind of leapfrogs over them in, in social position, right? Uh, and, and so you might possibly wind up with a uh, a nativist movement, an anti-immigrant nativist movement that includes blacks, includes Hispanics, and in- includes a lot of Orientals. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm not predicting it's going to happen, but I'm just saying that that's a plausible scenario when we're faced with now immigration from uh, all over the Muslim world, from places in Africa where they'd never come from before, from um, just random countries everywhere. So there you go. I don't know what you think of any of that. Well, how is it playing on Europe? I mean... are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org.
Health Simple with Kalwara Shilaji, fact bit number three. Shilaji is the supreme yoga vaha. Within Ayurveda, Shilaji is the singular substance that towers above all other herbs, herbal minerals, and earth-made adaptogens. Yoga vaha refers to substances that have the ability to synergistically make better and carry other substances to its prescribed destination. In the case of Shilaji, most any herb, food, or mineral is amplified with ionic potential, superimposing superior efficacy with increased cellular energy and absorption rates. One of the best applications for Shilaji is to add a drop or two into your favorite herbal tincture and foodstuff. Simply put, Shilaji makes other substances more effective. Look for the Gold Mountain and Medical Symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new ease-off drop-and-lift? What in the world is an ease-off drop-and-lift? Our Ease-Off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the Ease-Off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my Ease-Off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F dot com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. Homeowners, if your lender has gone out of business or sold your transaction to another lender or servicer, you may be the victim of a wrongful foreclosure resulting in the loss of your home. If you've already lost your home, are in foreclosure, or even in good standing, you can challenge the mortgage transaction's illegal issue, and your property can be restored to you, and your foreclosure can be stopped or reversed, and the mortgage transaction declared unenforceable. State laws, U.S. title codes, the Uniform Commercial Codes, and U.S. Supreme Court rulings have upheld that defective mortgage documentations can reverse or stop foreclosures and enforce property title claims in favor of the homeowner. We are having successes in stopping the process of foreclosure, the enforcement of the foreclosure judgments, the sale of property, and evictions after the sale. We are not attorneys, and we don't give legal advice. We are a professional team of legal researchers providing forensic mortgage audits and expert witnesses. We have the knowledge to produce the evidence and enforce laws regarding your legal issues. We've been in business for 12 years without a complaint. Consultations are free and we provide a free title search to confirm if your mortgage has legal defects. Email tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. So there you go. I don't know what you think of any of that. Well, how is it playing out in Europe? I mean, uh, these Muslims are forming caliphates. Uh, They're not identifying with European culture. They're bringing their own culture and dominating Europeans. Uh, And there's places in Europe where police are afraid to go. Uh, No go zones. So you're, you're not getting this melting pot. You're getting just basically... Uh, third world brown people Muslims coming in and dominating Europe uh, so you know was that the plan uh, you know, if it was then the plan was to destroy European culture and I think we can say the same thing with America these Venezuelan gangs that are coming in um, you know they don't hold the values of, you know, of white Americans uh, they're definitely different and they're sort of forming their own communities. Uh, so it, it's not a matter of assimilation. It's a matter of bringing foreigners in to conquer. Mm-hmm. It's almost the powers that be that shouldn't be one to destroy, you know, white American culture, which I would argue was the whole purpose of the 65 Immigration Act. It was a refudiation of the 1924 uh, National Origins Act. Mm-hmm. Well, here's here's some which is all that's all right, that's all correct. Um, here's something 
things are different. This is the 21st century, and a lot of things change. The technology changes. Transportation technology, communications technology change. So the, these people who immigrated from these non-English-speaking parts of Europe or, or Ireland uh, in the 1800s, they came over, and they might be able to exchange letters. But I remember exchanging letters through snail mail because I was at the tail end of, of that technology where you know I was living overseas, and if I wanted to communicate with my friends or my family, it was through snail mail. Um, and even, you know, even in the 1980s snail mail, I would be lucky to send a letter and get a reply two weeks later. And, you know, I, I, it's hard to have conversations that way. Um, and th th so the people who are coming over, uh, they were coming over for good and they had no choice other than to put down roots. And nowadays somebody comes over. Oh, like, okay, I'll, I'll just say an example. I, I have a, I, I'm always talking to people, and I know a lot of people. And I know this one Italian lady who just died. She was 96 years old. She just died. But, um, and, you know, she was telling me about her husband, and uh, she, and, and her husband was from Italy. Then he went back to Italy, came, which was very rare. It was, it's pretty rare to, to immigrate here, then go back to the old country, then come back again. It wasn't unheard of, but it, it might happen. But in general, people would come and they would stay. And this was the way it was in the 1800s. It was the way it was in the early 1900s because, you know, going back and forth wasn't easy if you had to go on a boat, even if it was a steamer. Um, but now it's not like that. And so people uh, can talk to their friends back in Uzbekistan for free. Right. You can you know, you, have, you can you can still talk to people. You can um, and you can go back and forth. And I was talking to a lady from Uzbekistan, which is Central Asia. It's north of Afghanistan. It used to be part of the Soviet Union. And she's here with her family. Why is she here? Uh, she's here because for whatever reason, somebody in her town had filled out an immigration lottery, you know, a visa lottery. Because Chuck Schumer had this great idea to have the. Uh, green card lottery just give out green cards to random people well somebody had filled out um a, an application on her husband's behalf and he won and the thing is he, he had no ambition to come to the united states he had no need they had a family they had a house they had everything they needed in uzbekistan uzbekistan's you know it's not war-torn it's not poverty-stricken it's a perfectly decent place to live um but they won the lottery, so they so here they are, and the husband doesn't speak English. She was an English teacher back in her village or in her town, so I can talk to her. Um, but they're here just because they won the lottery, and and you know they're going back in the summer for a visit, and they can go back and forth, and it's so the people here don't have to put down roots the same way they did. They don't have to become Americans, and. Um, that might have all sorts of implications. And one implication is that if you got a, an administration that was, that really did want to deport people, uh, and, and we're cutting off the Gibbs, a lot of people might, might be, might actually, uh, self deport Mitt Romney style. They might say, well, it's not, it's not fun here anymore. Let's just go back to Uzbekistan or wherever they came from. I mean, some people come, some people do really come from, uh, shoot hole countries, sheep hole countries. I guess we'll call it sheep hole. They come from sheep hole countries. Um, but, you know, Andrew Agland often points out that uh, even the third world countries aren't that bad. You know, he, he I, I saw an article he wrote something about, I don't want to hear the, the Karen meme, you know, when, whenever there's crime, oh, America's becoming like a third world country. Because no, third world countries don't have crime like America does. This is third world countries aren't nearly as bad in a lot of ways as America's. Who knows? Uh, if you had a an unwelcoming administration, a lot of people might not need to be deported because they're you know they might just do the um, comparison and say, "Hey, my country, not that bad living in my country." I don't know. What do you think of that, Jeremy? 
Yeah, third world countries tend to be more dictatorships where, where crime tends to be cracked down on harder than it is in America. Here's another question. Of all these Venezuelan and, and different uh, third world immigrants into America, how many of these immigrants are going to be loyal to Israel? How many of them are going to sympathize with Israel? Or how many of them are going to be sympathetic to the plight of brown people that are uh, genocided by whites? Israel being portrayed as white people. You know, how's that going to work out for the system? Well, and that's, I mean, that's what Stephen Steinlight was asking 20 years ago, uh, 20 something years ago. How, how sympathetic are they going to be? And I think you can tell uh, the illegal immigrants who are here now are, is it even on their radar screen? Well, I mean, the ones who are, who are from the Muslim world, yeah, it is on their radar screen. I think, I think Muslims in general care a lot about that. The ones who are from Venezuela, uh, who knows? Who knows? But, you know, even the Latin American countries, these these are uh, often more traditional Catholic countries, uh, and, and a lot of them... Well, I just remember um, Hugo Chavez, who was the leader of of venezuela and who's a pretty interesting character i don't know why venezuela is as much vilified by republicans as it is but he was a very interesting character and uh he i guess he he was once referring to um the people who killed christ Hmm. Uh, i I, eventually i think he had to walk it back and say well i was talking about the romans but but he, he he was talking about the people who killed christ in the context of something Jewy, I can't remember exactly w- what it was, um, but he's maybe it was who who controls the banks or something. Maybe it was the banks. Maybe he was talking about banks. He was talking about something Jewy. He says, "Well, it's the, the same people who killed Christ," and that's the type of thing that probably resonates a lot more with people from Latin America. I uh, I don't think these people are. I don't know if they're aware that it was Jews that held the doors, the gates open for them to to come into America. And I don't know, even if they did know, whether they w- it would give them any special loyalty to Jews, that they, they would want to repay the favor by supporting Israel's genocide of Palestinians. But from Jewish okay. power's point of view, they, they saw in a, a 1950s white America as a threat. So they they wanted to flood it with it, you know um, third world brown people, but emerging from World War II, um, white America was very pro Jewish, was very pro Israel because of the Hitler thing, right? And so, in destroying that, the Jews may have put a, a nail in their own coffin. And again, back to Steinlight, <laughs> back to his writings. Uh, he predicted it well. Bringing these people in is going to destroy a good thing the Jews had, and that they had control. You know, they controlled the head of the of the uh, white America in uh, post World War II, and now they're losing control of that vastly. Uh, they're losing control of their their own democratic left core base because these people are sick of these immigrants. Yeah, and and the thing is, like people who listen to our show know, I don't think there is a grand master plan. Uh, I I think Jews do a lot of scheming. I don't think they have a a centralized master plan. And if you look at a lot of what you can very rightly call a Jewish agenda, um, they didn't need to do it all. There was a lot of overkill. And so they they did see white Americans as a threat. And you can, um, you know, among other things you could look into, uh, the, the chapter of Kevin McDonald's uh, Culture of Critique that talks about the Frankfurt School, for instance. So they did see uh, whites a, a, as a potential Nazi, Nazi-type threat. So what do you do about it? Well, they did a whole bunch of stuff about it. Uh, you know, they, they tried to... Uh, clamp down on the white birth rate with a, abortion and homosexuality and stuff like that. They they uh, tried to brainwash 
and, and um, capture the the church, which you know started even before they started with the Schofield Bible and things like that. But they tried to capture Christianity. They tried to uh, water down America, white Americans um, in the population by bringing in massive immigrants. They it was kind of an all of the ab- above um, scenario. And I don't, you know, I'm not saying that there was somebody who said, let's do all of the above, but that's how it worked out. I I think there were people who thought the way, the way to avoid, uh, you know, white Nazism is through mass immigration and others, the way to avoid white Nazism is to, uh, bring down the birth rate and others, the way to avoid white Nazism is to capture their religion. Well, the thing is, if, if, if you look in retrospect, uh, they they did very well simply cap- capturing the culture and capturing the religion. They didn't really need to bring in all, all of these these people. When you get down to it, uh, the 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 whites the the white goyim have been very subservient. They they have they have not noticed. They, they weren't noticing hardly anything until all of these other strategies that wound up not being necessary uh, started having all these adverse results and that's getting the whites noticing, but had it not been for, I, I, I'm making the case right now. I've I never th- I'd thought of it before, but I'm making the case now that had it not been for massive immigration and blatant anti-whiteness, the Jews would have been just fine being, uh, they, they would have just done fine. They would have been able to dominate the, uh, the American culture and the American political system and the American economic system without all of this. But, but they brought in all these people, they did all the anti-whiteness, they did all the, the gayness and trannyism, and, uh, it attracted a lot of attention. And now you've got the noticing and, and last thing I'll say is the, um, discussion of Jewish power is the destruction of Jewish power. Yeah, and what all what you you know proposed and and all of that was you know Steinmeier's argument. Why rock the boat? Why mess up a good thing? Uh, but they did, and here we are. They did, they did <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> if we can get to this other article, um, let's do it. Illegal, an illegal Venezuelan migrant rapes an underage teen in Virginia. Uh, I've got this from Stormer. He quotes the New York Post. Authorities in Virginia are vowing to seek justice after the Venezuelan migrant in the country um, illegally was charged with sexually assaulting a child as young as 13. Renzo Mendoza Montes is the guy's name, 32 years old, was arrested last week on two felony charges for sexually assaulting an underage child, uh, according to deputies in uh, Campbell City. So, again, both left and right are seeing this. They're seeing the destruction of America under this. And Venezuelan, you know, those were the gangs, basically the Venezuelan gangs that were uh, stealing cell phones and money from elderly people, taking their purses running them over on uh, motorcycles and mopeds. Um, the, the left is seeing this finally. So again, the, the predictions of Steinmeier are coming true that if you brown the country too fast, you're going to get this type of white lash. You're going to get this type of um, these people. Do you think these Venezuelan gangs are sympathetic to Israel? Do they have any political leanings at all? They're just here to rape and pillage. They're just here for the Gibbs. They don't have any political leanings at all. So in trying to stop uh, what the Jews would see as a, you know, an American pro-white national socialist country, in trying to stop that, they're, they're actually damaging their own uh, agendas of bringing these people in. Yeah, they've, they've made a mess. I, I like I look around, and on the one hand, um, America is in ruins. It's not as it's not in as much ruins as Gaza or Ukraine, 
Um, but it's really screwed up. And I'm 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 old enough that I I remember. I don't remember the fifties, but I remember the sixties. And uh, it was a, it was a in a lot of ways it was a real nice country that we had here. It was it's a shame that something had to happen to it. But it, it's really been screwed up, and uh, and people are are noticing. And it's not. It's it's just it. I I don't like in Israel. I don't see it working out at all well for them. In America, um, there's there's going to be a giant backlash. I don't know how things are going to play out here. Often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read one. This product has been a godsend for my father, who suffered from a heart attack about two years ago. He was prescribed medications for his condition, which was so serious he almost died. But he hasn't been able to afford most of the medications. After researching alternatives that were more affordable, he tried Extendivite. Since taking it, he has consistently lower blood pressure and experiences less angina. We are currently on our fifth bottle. I enthusiastically recommend this product, and I am grateful that it is available. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Are you sick of censorship? TLB Talk is the cure. TLB stands for truth, liberty, and balance. We are the newest and most unique social media platform to hit the internet. We were built out of necessity because Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Brother are out of control. The only thing bigger than them is when we the people are united. With that vision, TLB Talk was born. Our battlefield is in cyberspace. The battle we're in can be won by clicks of buttons and voting with your wallet. TLB Talk has no hidden agendas, no corporate funding, and we do not sell, trade, or give away any of your information. Our platform runs off of generous donations of members and merchandise profits. So please, check out our site. It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at TLBTalk.com and join the social media revolution. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try Hemp Paste for the price of a cup of coffee. HempPaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at RepublicBroadcasting.org and visit HempPaste.com slash RBN. It's just, it, I, I don't, like, in Israel, I don't see it working out at all well for them. In America, um, there's there's going to be a giant backlash. I don't know how things are going to play out here. But I think that, that Jews, like they do over and over and over again throughout history, have just overplayed their hand. They're they're paranoid. They feel that they've, they've got to control. And they become so, so over the top with their, their, they become such control freaks people notice 
and you've got this cycle and it just goes on again and again and again and that's why i i don't I, if there was a grant if there was if jewish power was centralized and there was a grand master plan there would be a, there would be learning there would be a learning process we don't see the learning process we see them make, doing the same stuff over and over again the more control they get uh the the more they freak out and and try to clamp down on everything and and they overplay their hands that's that's how i see it um but but the thing is you look over and over and over again in history, um, when they lose power, they, the countries are in ruins. And we saw it 30 years ago with Russia. You know, Putin, has, Putin is the savior of Russia, but Russia was in ruins. They, you know, they got uh, very, very powerful in uh, the German-speaking areas, in, in Austro-Hungary, for instance. Uh, and they, you know, they were overcome, but the country was in ruins. The Soviet, the, you know, the Bolsheviks, the same thing. We see it over and over. You can go back centuries. You can probably go back uh, a couple thousand years, and it's just over and over and over again. They, they get, they eventually either get kicked out or lose their lose their power. But in the process, uh, there's so there's like I'm trying not, like I'm not that hard on the Jews in a way. I'm not that hard on them, and I don't want to stick anybody into a cage with a, an eagle and a bear. But it's just true. They're really, really destructive. And, um, you know, I, I, okay. Last thing I'm going to say. So I was driving through the countryside, um, recently and I looked up at a sign. I wish I could have taken a picture, but I was driving and it said something like it was from Jewsbelong.org or whatever it is. Jews belong. You can look up Jews belong and like they belong here. Jews belong. And it said something like, once upon a time, there were six million people who didn't think it was important to stand up to hate. I, I mean, this just, how paranoid is that? So they have, to <clears throat> they have to stand up to the hate, the hatred of people protesting against their, their slaughtering these, these children in Gaza. Otherwise, six million. Six million, Goyim, remember six million. Yeah, it, it's it's a testament to the neuroses, I guess you would call it, of that they had power and it was there in the 1950s, but it wasn't enough. They had to keep going. Are we? Yeah, I think we're in the the final yep. minute. We are in the final minute. So this Thank is this is where you tell me to keep it classy. If um. I had a discussion with Dr. Duke today. I think he recorded it. I think he's going to use it. And I said something that was very, very not classy, which is why it's important for you to remind me to keep it classy and why I say it's always a struggle. Please keep it classy. Um, thanks, Patrick, for having me on. I, I will do my best. And um, if people listen to the Dr. Duke show... They might hear what I'm talking about. Otherwise, I'll leave it to the imagination. And I'll be back again tomorrow with another exciting episode of National Beauty Radio. media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. 
You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Truth, truth.